we've been on a journey through the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, we've uh, dove into some difficult things. We've uh, noted that some of the stuff that we're talking about are hard to hear, and uh, we don't want to just be simply hearers of God's Word. We want to also apply the truth of God's Word, and uh, that's our goal. And so in some ways, not only is it just hard to hear, it's hard to take. It's hard to apply to our lives, and truly we need Jesus Christ the Lord to bring transformation into our lives, to change us and conform us into His image, uh, that we would apply the truths that, uh, that uh, He is teaching us, especially in a day such as today. Uh, we have been journeying, and last week we dove into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we talked about Paul's ministry and how difficult his ministry was, uh, how he had paid a high price uh, uh, as a calling, uh, as an apostle, and in contrast, his ministry to these super apostles, which uh, we've heard uh, a bit about, and will really come to a burning focus in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you want more, to learn more about the super apostles, uh, and that's how Paul refers to them uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can jump ahead and see a bit about how he deals with them. We're going to touch on that a wee bit this morning. Uh, now, uh, as we hear about this, we see all the way up to chapter 6, verse 13, we see the transparency of Paul. We see that Paul is truly weak, and it's his dependency on the Lord that allows him to move forward and to have a successful ministry. It's not his strength, it's not his uh, uh, great ability, but rather it's his dependency. And uh, the church of Corinth is struggling with this because their perception and the expectation that the world places on the church is that it's a place of strength, of course, and it's a place where uh, God would accomplish his goals and means through very competent people. And Paul is competent, but it's his weakness that allows Christ to be exalted and lifted high. And so now we're going to continue on in that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 14 through to chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to unpack uh, in our time together this morning these uh, verses. Paul goes on to say this, Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word this morning. We pray that we would be people who seek to apply it. May our hearts be tender. May we yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. May your Spirit have freedom and access to change and transform us into the likeness of Christ. Redeem this time, we pray, for your honor, for your glory. Be exalted, Jesus, we pray. For it's in his precious name we have gathered. In his precious name uh, we uh, long to hear 
and to change. Amen. I uh, just want to start by uh, backing us up a wee bit. Paul has uh, ended uh, that passage of Scripture, you know, talking about the hardship of the life of the apostle. And by extension, it's a hardship that you and I also endure. And so even though he's speaking as an apostle and about the role and ministry of the apostle, it would be true that we too endure much hardship. You know, we, we may think that to walk with Jesus is easier. To walk with Jesus is, is easy street. That's what maybe we think. And maybe that's our expectation. And maybe we've heard that. And that has drawn us in. But it's not biblical. No, Jesus Christ, who is our master, our teacher, says, If the master suffers, so too will those who follow him. And so, friends, this reality that we live in a broken and fallen world that is resistant to the gospel of Jesus, it, it, it's true that we need to push back the darkness. We need to lean in. And so Paul, in his, his willingness to be transparent and open about how difficult it is even for him to lean in and the price that he's paid, he sort of wraps this uh, segment of the scriptures up by saying, listen, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. I love Paul's transparency. I love his willingness to reveal his uh, shortcomings. I love that he's willing to acknowledge that it's his dependency on Christ which leads to sufficiency in ministry and not his skill set, not his strategic planning. Although those are important components, it's really, it's Jesus Christ and his ability to work in and through us. He says, you're not restricted by us. The, the church was saying that, Paul, you're hindering us, you're stunting us. We, we need to put you aside. We, we, don't, we don't appreciate you. And so Paul just confronts us. He says, listen, we're, you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Uh, it's the things that you desire, church of Corinth, that are hindering your growth. Uh, you're not willing to lean in. You're, you're, you want the easy road. You want the high road. You're, you're, you're looking for all the uh, dramatic, exciting, and, and you're not willing to suffer. It's your affections that are restricting you. In return, I speak to you as a children, he says. Widen your heart also. Uh, be willing, Church of Corinth, to admit your weakness, and in the midst of your weakness, lean on Jesus and allow him Allow him to work in you, to comfort and encourage you, as he says in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Allow him to be your sufficiency. Allow Jesus Allow Jesus to direct your path wherever it is he wants to lead you. Church of Corinth, widen your hearts. Church of Spruce Grove Alliance, widen your hearts. Now, admit your weakness and allow him him to speak in. Trust Jesus. He is more than enough. Then Paul, Paul goes on to give some practical advice. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Paul's exhorting the church of Corinth to not be unequally yoked. He's probably alluding to Deuteronomy 22 verse 10 where, where Moses says that a, a, an ox and a donkey aren't to be yoked together. To plow the field. Leviticus 19.19 says the same thing. That a uh, a donkey and an ox aren't to be yoked together. That that they won't work well together. That that they can't serve together. That that they will fight each other. That it will be an exercise in futility. Paul is saying that we shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
That this is not a good idea. That, that more than that, it's a really bad idea. That, that we, we need to not enter into a binding relationship with unbelievers. He, he's reminded of uh, Moses' word in Numbers where uh, Moses says, Israel is yoked to Baal. And the anger of God was kindled against Israel. Paul's saying to, to uh, the church of Corinth, listen, when you're yoked unequally with an unbeliever, uh, make no mistake. Make no mistake, it will hinder your walk and your effectiveness in ministry. Paul's driving in. He's getting real focused with the church of Corinth. He's trying to help them understand the importance of being separated. It's, a, it's a, an admonishment to, to not be bound with unbelievers, likely in a, a labor situation. You know, we shouldn't be signing contracts with unbelievers, and, 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 and in so doing, we're bound to unbelievers. And Paul's saying, listen, we shouldn't do that. We, we shouldn't be unequally yoked in, in leadership with unbelievers. That's what he's saying. But it's more than that. It's not that we shouldn't just simply be bound together with unbelievers in a leadership labor uh, position, but also Paul would be referring to spouses as well. One of the joys for pastors is, not one, but many of the joys is journeying with our fellowship, with people who are seeking to walk with God. It's wonderful. It's wonderful when someone uh, comes to that place of understanding that they are broken and that they need Christ. It's wonderful to help them understand who Jesus is and to lead them in, in a uh, relationship with Christ. That first step, it's wonderful as pastors to do that. It's wonderful to walk with believers and, and disciple them in the way that they need to walk out their faith. It's great. It's great when uh, believers get to that place where they say, I want to make a public profession of an inward act. I, I want to get baptized. It's a great joy. Marriage is a wonderful uh, uh, point or uh, step in the life of believers. And as pastors, it's wonderful to come alongside uh, to uh, a couple and, and, and to uh, preside over the wedding. But one of the challenges is sometimes, occasionally, a couple will come and one will be a believer and the other won't be. And then it's really hard to navigate through that. What do we do? How do we maintain integrity to the Scripture and heed the advice of Paul and, and yet come alongside of the couple? I've had these conversations uh, with, with folks and how difficult it is as we kind of tell the truth and explain why Paul would uh, suggest that this is a really bad idea. Hmm. Well, the reality is we're coming at it from a different worldview. See, for a believer, the scriptures are paramount. They are so important. Well, we we want to uh, know how to live our life, and so we, we, we dive into the scriptures and we take direction from the scriptures because we believe that the scriptures speak the truth and lead us to freedom. For an unbeliever, the scriptures are no more than a book of antiquity, often with many errors, that's how they perceive it, and has no more authority in their lives than than the next newscast. For a believer, you want to follow hard after Jesus. For an unbeliever, not so much. 
mission and purpose in life becomes difficult when you're unequally yoked. Because for one, we want to honor and bring praise and glory to Jesus. For the other, not so much. Oh, when crisis comes and, and marriage is wonderful, it's the greatest blessing we have in so many ways to be meshed together with another. We're two become one. What a beautiful relationship that God has given us. And yet crisis comes, challenges come. And for the believer, when the challenges comes, we tend to want to get on our knees and pray and seek his face. For the unbeliever, that's not perceived as a good use of time. And so Paul says, he says to you and to I, he, he warns, he says, now listen, be careful. Don't do it. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Friends, friends, if you are looking for your partner for life, if you are looking for your spouse, heed the warning of Paul. Look for someone who's a believer. Look for someone who walks in step with you. Someone who will look to the scriptures. Someone who will pray with you. Someone who will worship with you. Someone who is aligned to your core values. Someone who will encourage you when you're down and help pick you up in the Lord. Someone who is seeking the Lord as well. Friends, if you're not in a relationship, heed the warning of Paul. But friends, maybe you've entered into that relationship or maybe, maybe you got saved since your marriage relationship. I remember being in Africa and uh, we were serving in this interior tribe and uh, we had mountain biked like 60 kilometers to get there through elephant grass and everything. And then, and then we hiked down 22 kilometers. Can you picture this? And we brought a big Jesus video camera and screen, and it was the first drive-in movie theater in this village. <laughs> it's a true story. We had a service on Sunday. We had sent someone in six months before who was keenly aware of the community and he knew the community quite well and he was a part of the community and he had come to faith and now he was going to help establish the church. He had gone in to prepare the people that we were coming because for some of the younger children, they had never seen a white person. It's true. And so he was preparing them for us to come and to bring the gospel. Uh, we had a service on the Sunday, and we preached the gospel, and it was the first service, and we invited the chief and many other people. And uh, I can still remember this young lady accepting Christ, and uh, it was wonderful. We had been told that there is a chief, but there was also another fellow who was a bit of a thug in the community. He ruled with an iron fist. He was the one who ruled the community. He had warned all the women that they were not to talk to us. And when we'd give an invitation, it was the wildest thing. All the women would just stand up and walk away. It was, it was I had never seen nor experienced that before. And we weren't allowed to talk to them. We didn't know why they were doing this. We found out later. Well, it was a bit later that this young man in his early 30s who, who had encountered the gospel, we went to meet with him. We shared the gospel and he he had come to faith. It was quite exciting. His name was Stanley. 
And Stanley had come to faith, and it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> I remember uh, later that day, he had come over. I think it was just after supper or just before supper. And he brought fresh oranges off the trees for us to eat. He was so excited about his faith. We challenged him to, that night as we showed the Jesus video, to share his testimony, to encourage the community to come to Christ, the women. The women didn't walk away because that binding commitment that had been set through Stanley and some of the others was now broken. And so he shared with the community how he had accepted Christ just earlier that day. It was pretty neat, and many people responded. But as he came with the oranges to sit down and talk, here was his issue. He said, Pastor Scott, and I I had a friend with me who was a a, a national, Moses McCanta was his name. What do I do? You see, I'm a polygamist, but now I'm a Christian. I have four wives. One of them had accepted Jesus at church just before. What do I do? Three of them are unbelievers. One's a believer. What do I do? We are not to be unequally yoked, was his question. He was struggling with this. I was out of my element. Uh, This cultural reality was not something that I was used to. I think I just looked at him with my mouth wide open, wondering, I don't know. I've never been asked that question before. Moses, who was so wise understood the culture and understood the scriptures, you know, pointed him to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and said, said, friend, you need to love your wives as Christ loves the church. See, 1 Corinthians 7 says remain. You are to remain in the circumstances you, found, you find yourself in even after conversion. If they're willing to stay, then, then you are to love Christ. And I remember thinking to myself, good night, are you serious? Seriously, he's got to love all four of his wives as Christ loved the church. He's to die to himself. That's what Christ did. He died to himself for the sake of his wife. I thought, my lands, that's going to be difficult. Friends, if you're in a relationship that, that um, uh, is changed because you come to know Christ and you're married to an unbeliever. Heed the words of 1 Corinthians 7, which states that you are to remain in your relationship. And Peter says to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't constantly harass them with the gospel. Live it out and allow your life and testimony and example to be convicting in their lives. Friends, Friends, Paul's warning to you, if you aren't married and you're thinking about getting married, his warning is don't be unequally yoked. Friends, if you're married to an unbeliever, then remain in it. Live out the gospel. That that, that your, your spouse may be sanctified by you. That's what Corinthians says. And that they may be won over by your life. Live out the gospel. But friends, it's not just, Paul isn't just talking about spouses and uh, labor. If you're thinking about entering into a binding agreement with an unbeliever and the workforce, I just encourage you to, to think closely and to heed the words of Paul. No, Paul's speaking not just about these circumstances. He's probably more likely speaking about the reality of the false apostles that have gathered in. You know, Paul unpacks this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. He says, For such are men, are false apostles, they're deceitful workmen, they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, Paul is probably speaking to this reality more than to the others, although they all apply. 
What Paul is saying is, listen, to the church of Corinth, you need to separate yourself from these super apostles, these teachers of false doctrine, these people who have been disguising themselves as angel of light, these deceitful people. Paul's saying you, you need to separate from them because they're bringing confusion. You should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He goes on to say, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Paul's not saying that we are righteous and so we can puff out our chest and go, hey, we got it all together. We're Christians. Uh, We all know that isn't true. No, we are fallen and broken people. What Paul is speaking about here is the righteousness of Christ, which he's already identified in his expression in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Where Paul says the reality is that Jesus became sin for you and for me. He died on the cross for us. That we may be the righteousness of Christ, an expression to the world. See, it's not our righteousness that Paul is identifying. No, it's the righteousness of Christ that, that, that has no part with the lawlessness of the world. He goes on to say this, What fellowship has light with darkness? These are terms of creation. Paul is saying, listen, where there's light, there is no darkness. When the light shines, the darkness is dispelled. And and there's no fellowship between the two. Paul wants wants us to understand that that there needs to be separation and and clarity. There is no fellowship with light light and darkness. There is no uh, partnership with righteousness and lawlessness. What accord has Christ with Belial? Hmm. What is he speaking about there? Well, there's 27 accounts to, uh, in the scriptures that, si- that signify or contrast Belial. Pardon me, Belial. And it signifies worthlessness and nothingness. It refers to Satan. And Paul is saying, listen, if you are with Christ, you have no partnership with Satan. Friends, those who are apart from Christ are enemies of God. That's what Paul says in Romans. Think about that. See, sometimes we don't think that that, that that would be our standing. We may not necessarily have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may think to ourselves that we're okay. Oh, we like to be around Christians, but we haven't fully embraced. No, 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 no. Friends, if we are not in Christ, if Christ isn't in us, if we haven't received what Jesus has done on the cross, friends... We are still in our sin. We are enemies of God, irregardless of our efforts and good works, irregardless of the things that we bring to the table. No, no, no. Paul wants us to understand we are either in Christ or we're, we are followers of the God of this world who's blinded the hearts and minds of those who are perishing. Friends, we need to receive Christ and to follow him. We, we, we can't just be in the borderlands. We, we can't just be in close proximity and think that that will spare us. No, no, we need to come to terms with our brokenness, with our sin, and recognize that we are in desperate need of a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the one who saves us. He's the one who is the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? See, Paul wants us to understand that that either you're a believer or you're not. It's not somewhere in between. Either we know Christ or we don't. What portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? 
See, the role of the believer in the life of an unbeliever is simply to point people to Christ, to live out the Christian faith, to to be an expression of the work of the cross that Paul has done, I mean, that Jesus has done, and to call people to a place of repentance. That's the portion we have, nothing more. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, Paul goes on to say. You see, Paul is helping the church of Corinth to contrast the reality of the temple of God and idols. See, the temple of God was uh, the place that God dwelt. Idols. Idols was the gathering place of stones and wood that were carved into some image. But the, the wood or the stone could not see, could not hear, could not speak and had no authority or power to accomplish anything. And yet the people would gather together and beg that the, that the idols would bring uh, change in, uh, into their lives or change into their circumstances. What agreement is the temple of God with idols? Idols are dead. God is alive. See, look what Paul says, for we are the temple of the living God. He's alive. Paul uses this term of living God in contrast to the idols, which are dead. There's nothing to them. There's nothing that uh, idols can produce. And yet in Corinth, there were seven temples that people would gather together and worship and make sacrifices in hopes that these idols, these dead idols, would bring change to their lives. That, That they would bring whatever it is they desired and Paul says, make no mistake, there's none like God, and we are, the, we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. Paul uses this in, in, in two forms. Here he's speaking about the collective gathering of people. We, notice this plural, we as we gather together, we bring God in essence. We are the church. This building is just a building, and yes, God is, is so, uh, sovereign, and He is present everywhere all the time, and, and so in one sense, yes, God is always here, but really the church is the gathering of the saints. We bring, in essence, the church together as we gather together. But it's not just a, a plural thing, it's also an individual thing. Paul expresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that individually we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is a fulfillment of the promise of God. Paul begins to quote an assortment of scriptures here as he unpacks the truths and the impact of the living God who dwells among us. He goes on to say, I will make a dwelling among you, among them, I'm sorry, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I love that. God promises that through the lips and the writings of Isaiah. 700 years before, he he makes this promise that he won't just be in the temple or in the tabernacle, but he will dwell with his people. He will dwell amongst us. And so, so the promise or the fulfillment of that promise, as Paul sees it, is in our day because of the work of Christ on the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit who seals us and indwells us. Therefore, go out in their midst, and be separated from them, Paul goes on to say, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I'll be your father. I'll be a father, I'm sorry, to you. And, I shall, uh, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I love this. Paul is quoting uh, uh, Leviticus here and Isaiah and Samuel in Psalm 89. 
Of all the relationships that God could have used to describe his relationship with us, his redeemed, he chose to use the title Father and Sons and Daughters. That's a a uniquely and profound intimacy that can be discovered with our great living God. God has determined that he would be our father, not a CEO in in the heavens. He's not uh, some disgruntled uh, being in the heavens. No, he's, he's our father, and he invites us to come as sons and daughters. It's so inclusive. He welcomes us into his presence. And in so doing, he's fulfilled all the promises of scriptures, friends. Friends, God is our Father, and He invites us to come. Not on our own merit, not on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ. He is sufficient. He has paid Him full for all our sins. We can come boldly into the throne room. As a son would come to his father, we have that kind of access. As a daughter would come to her father, that kind of access. It's a wonderful and tender relationship. And that's how God describes it. That is his words. It's a fulfillment of the promises of old. And so he goes on to say as he wraps things up, since we have these promises, uh, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement uh, of the body of the Spirit. Bring holiness and completion to the fear of the Lord. Notice how he kind of wraps this up. He's saying, listen, God is true. When he promises something, it'll come to pass. Friends, you may be waiting on a promise of God. Friends, it'll come. You may need to wait long, but God, God is, is perfect in his timing and in his expression, and so it is true. It'll come to pass, just as he has fulfilled many of the scriptures of old. And so, beloved, he says, we are loved by God. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement, body and spirit, not of our own merit, no, by bringing our sin, our brokenness to the foot of the cross. And allowing the spirit and the precious blood of the lamb to cleanse us from all, all our sin. And let us uh, allow it to bring completion in the fear of God. Friends, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you are about to enter into an unequally yoked relationship, maybe in your business Maybe in your personal life, a binding relationship, friends, heed the words of God. And as difficult as it may be, seek Him and ask for wisdom and guidance. Friends, maybe you are in an unequally yoked relationship, no fault of your own, but you are. Friends, seek His face and ask Him for wisdom and discernment how to move forward. Listen, you are a witness and a testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness of God, even in the midst of your circumstances. Friends, friends, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the living God. And collectively, so are we. As we gather together, may the manifest presence of God be expressed. And may He bring healing and encouragement, truth and freedom in and through our community. Friends, do you know, do you know God Almighty as your Father? Have you ever bowed your knee at the foot of the cross and confessed your sin and received the finished work of the cross? If not... Hear me now and repent. Turn from your sin and receive what Christ has done on the cross for your sin. And then enter into a relationship with him. As a son enters into, uh, not enters into, but as a son has access to the father or a daughter has access to a father. Let's stand together. I'm going to call the worship team up.
Where do you stand this day? Is he your father? If not, call on his name. And as sure as I'm standing here, your relationship with God Almighty will change forever. He will be your father. But you must confess and repent and acknowledge your need for a savior. Friends, we are the temple of the living God. It's great news. And so as we go, we are an expression of the righteousness of Christ. As though God are making an appeal in and through us. Oh, that God would move and stir in us. That he would accomplish his goals and means. That he'd change and transform us through the righteousness of Christ. Friends, if you're unequally yoked, look to him. He's more than enough. He's sufficient. He has a purpose and a plan in the midst of your circumstances. Don't give up. And friends, if you're entering into one of those relationships, heed the warning of God even now and seek his wisdom. And so, Lord, you know our hearts and our circumstances. You know where we stand before you. Would you speak to each one of us with clarity, with laser accuracy, and with focus? Help us, Father, not just to be hearers of your word, but help us to apply it. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray.